Okay, so I'm going to read December 21st, but I'm going to combine the 22nd and 23rd since I'm a little behind, but I'm going to try to combine those. Okay, so let's move on from here. This is uh, December 21st, Advent reading. Isaiah, uh, the entrance antiphon from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, 8, and 8 to 10. The Lord and ruler will be coming soon, and his name will be called Emmanuel, because he will, he will be called God with us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The desire for God from the uh, imitation of Christ prayers. O most loving Jesus, give me the special grace to desire you. Above all created things, above all health and beauty, above all glory and honor, above all dignity and power, above all knowledge and prudence, above all riches and talents, above all joy and gladness, above all fame and praise, above all sweetness and consolation, above all hope and promise, above all merit and desire. Hold on. Unfortunately, I only have two hands. Above all gifts and rewards, that you may give or send except yourself, above all joy or happiness that the human heart can grasp or experience, above all angels and archangels and all the heavenly hosts, above all things visible and invisible, and above all that is not you, my God. And I'm going to read this one. Uh, this is also from the Imitation of Christ. This is for Advent. Our powerlessness before God. Lord, as it says in Scripture, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? What does anyone have that did not derive from you so as to claim the right to your grace? What reason can I offer to say it is my right? that you must not forsake me. And if you do not grant what I pray for, what can I say to justify my complaint? I am forced to admit, O Lord, that I am nothing. I am unable to do anything without your help. There is no good in me that I can attribute to my own efforts. Without you, I am doomed to fail. And anything I accomplish independently of you is of no worth whatsoever. I am in great need, Lord, of your aid and your guidance. That's great. So, we, we, everything we have can be easily taken away. Our health can be taken away. Our, um, our, um, the health of our mental capacity can be taken away. Um, our self-esteem can be taken away. Any possession can be taken away. And we've actually experienced it. We experienced that in 2020 when the whole world shut down. And New York City was like, had the highest COVID and the highest death rate. 
I mean, think about it. It also, New York City is also where the, the highest abortion rate on the planet. All right. And that was almost like 50 years. This is the gateway to America and all that happened. And I, you know, and, and I don't think any of that was uh, insignificant. I think a lot of it had a lot of, a, a lot, a lot of connections to it. But anything can be taken away from us. Nothing we have is ours. And I think we need to put that in perspective. Our life comes from God. Our body comes from God. Our health comes from God. And the breath we have in this body comes from God. But he's not He's not a God that is a tyrant. He's our creator and our father. And he doesn't want robots. He doesn't want mindless robots. He wants, he wants a relationship with his, with, with his creature, with his creation. He didn't make us insignificantly. He didn't make us to be slaves, though in many ways we are slaves. But what do you choose to be a slave of? To your passions that make you feel miserable? Or to God's love? One is freedom, total freedom, total freedom from captivity and slavery to passions and to the world. Because one thing's for sure, you're you either are a slave to drugs, alcohol, or to someone that will use you till they no longer have need for you. Or would you rather to be a slave of God's love and which is complete total freedom and complete total dignity? And, and you, you are also looked on as his child his son. That's a difference right there. There's a big difference. And that's what Christ came to liberate us from. Slavery to a world that does not love us, that hates us. All right, let's move on from there. Okay, so this is from the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8 to 14. This is first reading is an op first option, but I'm going to read both. Hark, my lover, comes springing across the mountains. A reading from the Song of Songs. Hark, my lover, here he comes, springing across the mountains, leaping across the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Here he stands be behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lettuces. My lover speaks. He says to me, Arise, my beloved, my dove, my beautiful one, and come. For see, the winter is past, and the rains are over and gone. The flower appears on the earth, the time of pruning, the vines has come, and the song of the dove is heard in our land. 
The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines its blooms gives forth fragrance. Arise, my beloved, my beautiful one, and come, O oh, my dove, in the cliffs of the rock, in the secret recesses of the cliff. Let me see you, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and you are lovely. Word of the Lord from the Songs of Songs of King, of King Solomon. The next reading, the second reading, is from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14 to 18. The King of Israel, the Lord, is, your, is in your midst. A reading from the book of the prophet Zephaniah. Shout for joy, O daughter Zion. Sing joyfully, O Israel. Be glad and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed the judgment against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You have no further misfortune to fear. Oh, that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Be not discouraged. The Lord your God is in your midst. O mighty Savior, he will rejoice over you with gladness and renew you in his love. He will sing joyfully because of you as one sings of festivals. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. All right, Psalm 33. Exult you just in the Lord. Sing to him a new song. Give thanks to the Lord on the harp with the ten-stringed lyre. Chant his praises. Sing to him a new song. Pluck the strings skillfully with shouts of gladness. Exult you just in the Lord. Sing to him a new song. But the plan of the Lord stands forever. The designs of his heart through all generations. Blessed the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen for his own inheritance. Exult you just in the Lord. Sing to him a new song. Our soul waits for the Lord who is our help and our shield. For in him our hearts rejoice. In his holy name we trust. Exult you just in the Lord. Sing to him a new song. So, um, the first one was very beautiful. Um, it's been said that actually the rabbis um, doubted about the Song of Songs making it into the canon of uh, of the Jewish books because the way it was written was it has an erotic quality. Uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say exactly erotic, but there was a an overwhelming uh, romantic quality that was unusual. It didn't sound like the rest of the holy books, but it is a wisdom book. It is a poetic book and it is God talking to the soul. Technically the way the church fathers saw it, it's Christ and the soul of the individual. It's Christ and his church, Christ and his bride. Hark my lover, 
Here he comes, springing across the mountains, leaping across the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. Here he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lettuces. That's the curtains. You know, the, the old word for curtains was lettuces. My lover speaks, he says to me, arise, my beloved, my dove, my beautiful one, and come. For see, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, the flower appears on the earth, the time of pruning, the vines has come. Notice Christ uses in the Gospel of John, the pruning, I am the vine, my father is the vine keeper. He prunes. He prunes every branch that does not bear fruit. The song of the dove is heard. We hear also the word, the dove. The dove is the Holy Spirit. The dove is heard in our land. Then here is this one. The fig tree puts forth its figs and the vines in bloom gives forth frag fragrance. Arise, my beloved, my beautiful one, and come. O oh, my dove, in the cliffs of the rock, in the secret recesses of the cliff. This is the soul, a metaphor for the soul. Let me see you. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and you are lovely. The soul wants to see God. The individual soul is hungry for God. It, it, there, there, God wants this desire, this hunger, this like a, a lover, two lovers seeking each other. That's, that's the whole point here. And then here we have in Zephaniah, shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Sing joyfully, O Israel. Be glad and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. This is basically talking about the Virgin Mary. That's how I see it. The Lord has removed the judgment against you. But this is also about Jerusalem because Jerusalem has sinned. Mary is the true daughter of Zion, but she is immaculate. Jerusalem, unfortunately, is that city and it represents all cities that have judgment passed against them. It doesn't matter if it's Rome, Alexandria, New York, London, all cities are a microcosm and uh, a branch of the people. It's a reflection of the people. And every city that is sick, corrupt, has violence, has crime, has perversion, is a reflection of a city that has abandoned God and is calling for judgment, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, just like Babylon, just like Egypt during the time of the pharaohs, just like Jericho. All, and all cities must come into judgment. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You have no further misfortune to fear. On that day he shall be, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, be not discouraged. The Lord your God is in your midst, O mighty, a mighty Savior. He, he will rejoice over you with gladness and renew you in his love. He will sing joyfully because of you as one sings of festivals. He will come to rescue. Every family 
wants to be rescued. Every individual wants to be rescued. They want the answer, how do you live life? How do you live it properly? There must be an answer. You know, when you see, like, I mentioned in one of the podcasts, um, these shows, they always show you the same typical trope, the same typical playbook. You know, they want to show you that that independent life, that, uh, you know, the independent young man, the independent young woman who doesn't need God, doesn't need everything. The, the person smokes pot, drinks, you know, sleeps with whoever they want and then cast them aside and everything. It's the same trope. It's the same playbook over and over again. All right? Always the dark side. For some reason, it fascinates them and it bores the heck out of them. But for some reason, they're fascinated by the holy. They're fascinated by it. But they're afraid of the change. They're afraid of losing that social circle that, that, that made them miserable for some reason. I'll be honest with you, it doesn't bother me. I wish I was surrounded by more holy people. I, I want more Christian friends. I want more people that make life more meaningful. I want more people that could, I would say, add more more beauty to, to life, better conversations, you know, more peaceful, that make life more peaceful. You know, because there's more to life than just constantly getting up every day and going to work to make money. You know, maybe once in a while, it'll be nice just to watch the grass grow and uh, sitting down and sharing good thoughts with people. That would make things a lot better, right? It would make things a lot more beautiful, more, more easygoing, you know? Maybe once in a while, stand over a, a barbecue grill, share recipes. Maybe go fishing and praying friends that you can pray with you know it'd be nice you know but here in New York it's unfortunately like we live in our, our own little prison cells that's what I I started to think about all these apartment buildings they're just prison cells units with numbers and on them it's just nobody really there's no community unfortunately all right, let's move on from there. Okay. 
So here we are. Uh, Alleluia, Alleluia. Emmanuel, our King and Giver of Law, come to save us, Lord our God. Alleluia, Alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 1, verse 39 to 45. How does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Mary set out in those days and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. The gospel of the Lord praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This um, particular passage is very important. It's very important for Catholics and it should be important for Protestants because I don't, for Protestants, they don't, reflect and meditate on this passage enough. I'm sorry. The same way I honestly believe they don't even reflect on the Annunciation enough. They don't. Um, the same way they don't reflect on the Magnificat at all. Um, I don't hear enough from them about this. I'm sorry. That's just, this is, this is the fact. Notice what Elizabeth said. How is it that the mother of my Lord, how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Let's, let's use another word for Lord, Adonai. How is it that the mother of my Adonai should come to me? I mean, if I'm saying it, maybe I don't know my Hebrew, but the point is you get the, you get, you get the meaning. Why, why does this happen? This scene actually reflects a scene from uh, the book of Samuel when David, and, and before the ark, how is it that the ark of the Lord should come to me? And then also the fact that John the Baptist leapt in the womb of Elizabeth is a reflection of David dancing before the ark of the Lord when the ark was brought to Jerusalem. <laughs> this scene is an acknowledgement of Jesus and Mary. The unborn Jesus was acknowledged and Mary, his mother, was acknowledged. She is the mother of God. She is the mother of God. Now, when Catholics and Orthodox say this, we're saying that she is the mother that God has chosen for himself, that God the Father has chosen for God the Son. The Holy Spirit has chosen God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and God the Son has chosen. 
she is acknowledged as the mother of the Lord. She is Viatokos. She is the God-bearer. She is the new Ark of the Covenant. She is the one that bore him. She is the true Ark. The Ark is not a thing. It's not an object. It's a person. John, the apostle in the book of Revelation, points this out. Behold, the temple in heaven was opened, and there was the Ark of the Covenant, and then there was thunder and lightning. And behold, there was a woman with twelve stars on her head, pregnant, about to give birth to a man-child, who will rule the nations with an iron rod. This is what God wanted. This is what the Lord wanted. Everything in the past is a reflection of a metaphor of the present in the, in the Gospels. Protestants, their main problem is, I honestly don't believe it's doctrinal. I don't believe it's scriptural. I don't believe it's even theological. I think the problem with them is cultural. All right. Their prejudice is cultural. It's a cultural prejudice. And I believe it's emotional. A lot of it, I think, is because they, they have a, a, a form of Christianity that doesn't really have much of a liturgy. That lacks a lot of liturgy. Liturgy is... is a form of prayer that should reflect theology and faith. It's And it should have a form of celebration. Not just sitting there for two hours listening to the pastor, or even an hour listening to the pastor giving you a homily, a, a sermon. It should be a profession of the faith. It should be a celebration of the faith. And the music. This is why a lot of a lot of Protestants are very, very attracted to Messianic Judaism. Right? It's a, it's they're 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 attracted to Messianic Judaism. They like all they like the liturgy. They like the culture. They like the Hebrew. They're desperate for a liturgy. They're desperate for some religious identity. They they you you, you see you see it also in the music. They're attracted to it because they don't have that in Protestantism. They act, they they they, they want to adopt, uh, they want to call Jesus by his Hebrew name. Not that there's a problem with it. There is no problem with it. It's just that they're attracted to a form of liturgy that they want to be part of. They want that culture. They're hungry for that culture. They covet that culture. Because Western culture, Protestantism is technically has worn off. You know, they when they left Catholicism, they threw away the baby with the bathwater. And then it's stripped down. It's also lack of art. There's no art. Because really, the Ark of the Covenant, there was much of the temple that had... Uh, a form of liturgical art. And 
I don't know. I don't think they're going to be happy with it. I don't think they're going to be happy with it at all. Because the Holy Spirit is not going to make it possible. It's not, the Holy Spirit is not going to make them happy. Because much of it is really taking an identity that's not entirely yours. And also at the same time, there's a problem with Messianic Judaism. They, a lot of it is, is really trying to keep, it's, is it really about Yeshua? Is it really about Jesus? Or is it about Jewish identity? Is it really about Jesus? Or about Jewish identity? Because honestly, I don't see, I don't think so. Because Jesus settled a lot of things. He settled a lot of the questions about dietary laws. A lot of the stuff about circumcision was settled in the book of Acts. A lot of the stuff about the law was settled. Circumcision was settled. A lot of that stuff was, was taken care of. So you're going to see problems even with those even with those particular Protestants, evangelical Christians, born again Christians who want to dive into messianic Judaism. You're going to find them uh, you're going to find friction eventually. You're going to find a problem. So you have to really ask, is this really what Jesus wants? Is this what the Holy Spirit is asking me? Because Honestly, I don't see it happening. What we have here is everything has been laid out. The Holy Spirit gave us an identity. He gave us the church. Jesus gave us the identity. He gave us the church. And the church was born out of Judaism. And much of Judaism is beautiful. But it should be done in the context of the church. I think if you talk to someone like, like Mother Miriam, she would tell you the same thing. You're not going to be happy. You're not, because she was born Jewish, born in Brooklyn, became became Protestant, and then became Catholic. Okay? And she would tell you that Messianic Judaism or Jews for Jesus is just really Baptists disguised as Jews, trying to attract Jews, really. But, you know, hey, there's a lot, you know, we already have an identity. Our identity is Jesus Christ. And we already have a church. So, all right, let's uh, let's move on from there. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen.